Our friends from Healthy Bud just launched a new exciting product and our dog Zippo has been absolutely obsessed. Their mini training treats are packed with superfoods like lion's mane, reishi, and salmon oil to support brain health and with over 500 treats per bag and just one calorie per treat, you can rest assured that you're providing guilt-free taste and nutrition in every bite. To grab a bag yourself or a few, head over to us.healthybud.co and use our code FP20 to save 20% on your first order. second episode of the family pups podcast so last episode we talked about loose leash walking one of the the most common requests tanya gets and so in that vein we're going to talk about some other issues uh, that are very commonly requested as well and today's episode what are we talking about today tanya today we're talking about barking growling and lunging at other dogs and people aka reactivity Reactivity. Uh, I feel like I've been a little reactive as well toward people and the world. Yep. You know, hashtag Corona COVID-19. We have <clears throat> conditioned emotional responses to triggers in our environments too. It's not just dogs. Uh-huh. Look at this scientist over here. <laughs> um, Behavior is universal. Oh, wow. As always, I have a lot cut out for me today. As we mentioned on the last podcast, I am going to be the stand-in for the everyman and the uneducated. And so I'm going to be asking pretty much all the dumb questions related to this subject. And then Tanya is going to gently correct me or potentially agree with me, depending on how dumb or insightful my stuff is. So let's talk about why this is an issue anyway. First of all, is this an issue every dog deals with? Or is this just something that only a a small subset of dogs deal with? I wouldn't say that every dog is reacting with barking, lunging, and growling to stimuli. But as we were saying, usually dogs, people, or other animals have reactions to triggers so it is something that is universal however in the case of barking lunging and growling the dog has learned that this behavior has a consequence that has worked for them aka we call those behaviors distance increasing behaviors so their function is to get the scary thing or unpleasant thing to move away So I just wanted to go over what it is, what the root cause of the behavior is, and why do dogs display those behaviors. So as we were saying, we'll call those behaviors reactivity. So the dog is reacting to a trigger. The trigger can be another person, it can be another dog, 
or very common also are skateboards, bicycles, scooters, any type of trigger the dog will react to. So the root cause of reactivity I see most often is fear, overarousal, stress, and much more rarely true aggression. Barking, lunging, and growling are usually described as distance increasing behavior because they make the trigger move away, which makes them rewarding behaviors. So why do dogs display those behaviors? Your dog may be trying to get a person to move away. And another idea is that we've actually removed the fight or flight option away from the dog they would generally prefer to flight from things that are scary but since they're attached to us on a leash they have learned that they have to display different behaviors in order to get that distance interesting would you say that dogs are let's say they're trying to get away from something uh, or trying to increase the distance away from a person or a skateboard is this because they've had a bad experience or it's because it's a totally unfamiliar environment to them and they're just trying to get away from something that's unknown to them. It could be both. As dogs grow up, they go through different socialization stages and different fear periods. And one event learning is uh, something that dogs ex experience in their early stages of their lives. Uh, which means that a dog may have been, let's say, more predisposition to be fearful or going through a fear stage. And then as they're walking on the street, they get startled by a scooter or a skateboard. So in that case, the dog has become fearful of the skateboard or the sound from the skateboard. Uh, because of this one event learning that has happened. Other cases, some dogs are generally not comfortable with being approached or being reached at from strangers. Would you say that some of these behaviors are harder to deal with the longer that the dog has been allowed to have these reactions? So let's say, for example, you just adopted a dog the dog has been exhibiting these behaviors for like a year and you're ultimately tired of it. You call the trainer, you call Tanya, you call family pups. Is the duration that it takes for that behavior to be modified shorter in that situation than a dog, let's say you've allowed this dog to live for seven years with this behavior and for one reason or another, this behavior is intolerable to you, maybe it got dangerous and then you call a trainer. Is there a direct proportional relationship to the length of time the dog was allowed to get away with that and the amount of time it'll take to decondition that dog? Well, it wouldn't take you seven years, but yes, the more a dog has practiced a behavior and it's had a rewarding function, the stronger that behavior has become. So it will take a lot more work and repetitions in order for the dog to learn new ways of being around triggers. But this doesn't mean that it has to be a crazy amount of time. The most important thing is to 
gradually increase the difficulty and have really great setups where we are clearly communicating to the dog what they have to do in those situations. So working with a really great trainer that will create a plan that would split up the behaviors into really small and achievable steps will be the best way to go about this because it does take a lot of repetitions and we have to go at the dog's speed. So dogs are not being stubborn. They need our help and guidance in how to behave in triggering and emotionally charged situations. So the other day while I was outside uh, walking our foster dog, Lucy, Another resident came out of the building and the dog just really went nuts uh, when Lucy came close by. And the owner got really embarrassed, knelt down to the ground, took the dog by the neck and yelled, no, no, no. And then maybe the dog toned down a little bit. So just want to get your opinion. Is this something that you see as well? Yes, it is something that I see and I work with very often and I absolutely understand the frustration and the embarrassment that comes with having a dog that is highly reactive, that is barking, that is lunging, that is not something that looks attractive or pleasant to people around. So I really feel for all those people with reactive dogs who are just, you know, doing their best every day to manage the situation. Yeah, I mean, from a dog novice's point of view, from my point of view, sometimes I don't think the person actually thinks that yelling at them or grabbing them by the leash is actually the best form of behavior to stop that behavior from the dog it's just sometimes you're probably out just out for a walk you just want to have a a reaction free walk and your dog does that and probably you're a little embarrassed right like when your dog is barking at other people or dogs it might be some indication that you're a bad owner yourself and so i could see the embarrassment in their eyes and i could almost see them kind of saying no to the dog as not like, hey, this is the best option I got, but more of like, hey, I just want to show the person that's getting barked at that at least I'm doing something about it. Because if the dog just starts barking and then I'm just nonchalantly just acting like it's not happening, that almost seems a little rude. So I could understand people being like, well, I should do something right now. So I'm just going to like yell at the dog. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing here is that we're pretty much observing two organisms, like two different beings having conditioned emotional response to a trigger, right? So the dog is having a response to the trigger, which may be the other dog or the person. And then the human is having a conditioned emotional response to the dog's reaction to that trigger. So it's two different beings being conditioned to have a response to a certain trigger or stimuli in the environment. And um, I think that's why the science of behavior is so fascinating because most of the things apply to everybody. It doesn't matter if it's a dog or a person or another animal. The laws of behavior would apply to all of us. 
Yeah, I think that's interesting. Uh, we talked about this point the other night as well uh, regarding fear and intimidation and how sometimes it could be frustrating for us in that sometimes we want to instill fear and intimidation. Not, not saying that that's the best way, but let's say the dog is growling and you would think that me grabbing the dog by the collar and saying, no, 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 in a very annoyed and angry way would instill fear and intimidation in this dog. So this dog might be like, wow, I definitely shouldn't do that again. But that doesn't happen. But then it's equally frustrating because there might be a fear that your dog has gotten from somewhere else and you're trying to get that fear out of them. And that's equally as hard too. So it's weird in that there's some fears we want to eliminate and there's some fears we want to instill and we're equally bad at doing both of those things. Mm -hmm. I think most of the time people are trying to interrupt the behavior, not instill fear per se, but they really haven't found the right way to interrupt that behavior, maybe haven't figured out then what other behavior should the dog do when they encounter a trigger. So there's definitely a process involved in changing reactivity, but it's really important to start with the basics, start the same way that we would want to really fix any underlying issue that we have in our own lives, which is to uh, really think deeply and observe and figure out what is the reason, what is at the core of the reactivity. Let's go to the girl that I was mentioning. Uh, let's say she went out for the walk, the chihuahua went nuts, she reprimanded it she went back home and maybe she was thinking oh why is this so hard why is this so frustrating let's say she called you that evening and be like Tanya I, I just need some help can you just give me a couple of tips so what would you tell her what she could do about that situation when we're taking on a scientific approach to fixing fear in dogs will be to First, desensitize the dog to the trigger, which means that the dog is getting used to observing the trigger with distance that is far away enough that the dog is actually able to look at the trigger without it having a reaction. And the distance may be different for every dog, but there is always a certain point, even if you need a football field for that type of exercise. The second part of this is counter conditioning. So we want to actually change this conditioned emotional response from being negative and fear associated to creating the connection that this trigger predicts good things. So every time our dog looks at the other dog, we're going to say yes and give a reward. So this way we are communicating that other dogs lead to good things, but we're also breaking the focus from the trigger back on us. And we would want to do really short training sessions to begin with. So it could be a minute of exposing the dog to the trigger, then taking a minute or two break 
the other dog disappears, our dog is able to sniff, explore the environment, but all the treats disappear as well, and then have the trigger appear again and then start the same game. So we really wanna create a clear picture that a dog appearing, treats are starting to rain from the sky, and then taking breaks often so that the dog can take the time to process the experience and the information that they're receiving during those sessions. And then it sounds like just as an extrapolation of that, the next step would be doing more of these exercises, but at a closer and closer and closer distance. Yeah, we would start decreasing the distance, but we want to make sure that the dog is always under threshold, which means that it's not really reacting. It's not getting in an emotional space. What are certain things that a dog might be doing to indicate that they're right on the edge of that threshold? What are certain things that you see? Usually a stare, staring will be an expression that a dog is starting to become over threshold if they can't disengage from the trigger. It could be ears really pointing forward or up, overall uh, tense body language. The tail can either be super high up, it could start tucking under as well, depending on where the dog is with their feelings. It could be lip licks, usually predict that a dog is starting to feel uncomfortable, yawning, looking away, maybe even scratching or shaking, so they're starting to feel unsure about what to do in those situations. If we decide to actually start observing the body language of our dogs, it doesn't come supernatural for us to understand it. But if we do get into the habit or recognize some of the signals that communicate that they're uncomfortable, it will become really much easier for us. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about expectations too. Uh, I think you might get a dog that looks great on paper, looks great on the initial day, but you don't know their background or what they went through. And so it could be very frustrating when you get that dog, especially when you discover that they have certain triggers in regards to barking, growling, and lunging, and you immediately feeling like, oh, I got unlucky. You know, why did I get the dog that had these issues when I could have got a dog that was more well-adjusted or just doesn't have that built into them. And I think it's important to have some empathy and realize, hey, these dogs have gone through some stuff. And as a responsible owner, it's your responsibility to then adjust your expectations. Yeah, I agree. That's true. Any, uh, let's talk about some other exercises. So is that the general like desensitization and just getting closer to the trigger? Are there any other exercises that you recommend? We'll have a few goals here with the training. Um, so we'll be teaching some different behavior chains. The first one is look at the trigger, yes, reward. So when we've done this enough times and every dog is different, so this could be between 10 and 100 times, whatever is necessary, we just need to condition the dog to doing that. Second step is um, trigger shows up dog looks at it and then looks right back at us so this is when we're moving our marker now to the dog looking at us 
then we say yes and then we give the reward because we can't ask or communicate to our dog anything if they're not looking or paying attention to us so we're teaching them your trigger appears you're going to look at me your trigger appears it predicts good things for you so look at me to get your reward and then once we get there we're going to teach the dog an alternative behavior so this could be you know when you look at me then i ask you to sit and then you make eye contact with me maybe ask for a watch as well so you make eye contact with me as we're letting the other dog walk by it could be lay down and stay as we're watching the other dog walk by it could be touch it could be spin it could be anything that the dog knows and has practiced in different situations and scenarios that the dog learns okay i see a trigger i look at my mom then i sit then we watch the trigger go by then i get a treat right so then we can add the treat in the end of this behavior chain but we want to create predictability we want to create something that repeats every time we see a trigger so that the dog really learns how they should behave in those situations and this is something that i often say with training we're teaching our dogs how to behave in our human world because if we don't they will act out of their instincts because this is what comes natural to them but their instincts are not necessarily the things that we enjoy living with when it comes to our dogs so Creating clear communication and predictability in those situations will be the way to go about this situation. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. Probably most of their fear is due to them not knowing what's going to happen and the unpredictability of knowing what's going to happen. So they just automatically result to the behavior that has worked for them before. So if I just growl and they go away, there's a possibility that that dog might be the coolest, friendliest dog, but... I don't even want to find out because of past experiences. So I could understand how even just the uh, the habituation of certain behaviors for the dog that provides predictable things to do can get their mind off of what they're fearing in their head. Yeah. And I wanted to add also, you know, talking about habits and habitual behaviors that it is really important to do our best to manage the environment and the dog while we are in training so that we are able to eliminate the number of reactions while we're teaching alternative behaviors because it's a lot harder to teach something new if the dog is practicing the old behavior. So a scenario that I hear quite often is making sure that you're not rewarding for bad behavior. So a good example might be I'm out, maybe I've tried training the dog in a more serene environment before the dog has been successful at doing that. So I'm confident that if I go out, I'll be able to walk confidently with the dog without being scared that the dog is going to bark at another person or dog. And then let's say the bark ultimately does happen. And so you see a lot of owners get a little startled by that. Obviously, they want to get the dog away from whatever 
dog or person that uh, they are in front of, but then the owners are unsure of what to do at exactly the next moment, right? Because they don't want to just be like, hey, come here, and then give them a treat because I think they might be scared that they are reinforcing or letting the dog know that, hey, I like that behavior by that treat. So how do you ensure that you're rewarding for the right thing and not counterintuitively rewarding for the wrong thing? I think that's a good question for sure. The first part of the situation that you were describing was practicing out and about in the real world. So I would advise that the person and their dog get prepared with some emergency behaviors uh, that they have practiced in advance, something like emergency U-turn or a sit in front of the human that will allow the trigger to walk right past by them while the dog is engaged with the person. So I wouldn't say just go out without having any backup plans or scenarios. But once the dog is having a reaction, the best thing that we can do is add distance. This is a time that we are going to add some of that fun operant conditioning or teaching the dog that his behaviors have consequences. So the dog will look at the trigger, look back to us. We can mark and reward and follow that right up with asking the dog to sit, to lay down, to touch, to do something else for us. So this way we're building duration on alternative behavior. Uh, I might be the dumb one in the room, but how would you succinctly describe what operant conditioning is? Pretty much operant conditioning means that the dog is learning through consequences. So those consequences can be positive or negative. So we have positive punishment, positive reinforcement, negative punishment, and negative reinforcement. So we are not adding any positive punishment, which means adding something painful or unpleasant to the situation in the hopes that we will decrease the behavior. Like what would be an example of, of that? It will be maybe having a choke collar and giving the dog a pop every time they see their trigger. So when we're working with punishment, we are working on pretty much hiding the symptoms of the behavior, right? The outward expression of the dog's feelings or conditioned emotional responses to their triggers. So we may get a dog that sees another dog and doesn't react because they've been punished but we have not changed how the dog feels about that dog. So we may make the situation worse because every time a dog shows up, our dog feels pain. So exasperate and get even more reactivity or get a dog that doesn't react. Then the owner thinks the dog is fine. And then the dog gets too close and gets into a fight because now the dog is super comfortable and the way that he communicates those feelings have been taken away from him. I think that speaks to a really good distinction between having a dog that does what we want and having a good relationship with your dog, right? Uh, just because your dog seems to be doing 
all the quote-unquote right things, that doesn't mean that the dog is feeling good about that. The dog could be doing all the right things because you're forcing him or her to do that. But if you're looking at it from a relationship standpoint, you should have your dog wanting to willingly do those things because that's what they actually want to do. Seems like we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for joining me today again, Tanya. Anything that you'd like to plug? Uh, I know you still have your lunch and learns going on. Um, What do you have going on in your world? Virtual lunch and learns every day, Monday through Friday, 12 to 1240 on different subjects. Uh, Really excited to be talking to different people and hearing about the issues they're going through and figuring out ways to help them. Um, virtual doggy doula consultations and a lot more virtual coaching and training, which is proving to be actually really fun. Okay, I wanted to share this example training plan for reactivity. So first things first, write down your dog's triggers. Second, what are the most common scenarios your dog reacts? Third, at what distance can your dog observe their trigger? And at what distance does your dog react to their trigger? What is a high-value reward for your dog that you can use for this training? Remember, it really has to make an impression. Five, how can you set up your first session so your dog can be successful while working on desensitization and counter conditioning. Remember, keep training trials short and implement breaks often. One, two minutes of exposure followed by a short break, 30 seconds to a minute will bring the best results. Seven, keep track of your progress. Slowly decrease the distance between the trigger and your dog. Eight, what alternative behaviors would you like your dog to perform when he sees the trigger? Nine, what does success look like for your dog? And remember, changing behavior takes time and repetitions. Work at your dog's speed. They're not being stubborn. They need your help and guidance in how to behave in triggering and emotionally charged situations. It was a pleasure chatting about reactivity as well. It's definitely one of the most embarrassing but common issue that I work with. And I really encourage people to get in touch with a positive reinforcement trainer and have them craft a dog training plan in order to help their dog overcome their fears and reactivity. Well, great. Well, thanks so much. And as a preview for the next podcast, uh, we had a discussion today about um, anthropom... How do you you pronounce that? (laughs) (laughs) Anthropomorphizing. Anthropomorphizing. Yeah, which is another way of saying attributing human kind of Traits. traits and behaviors and characteristics to a dog. For example... My dog is being lazy. My dog is being stubborn. My dog is trying to piss me off as a way for us to try to understand dog behavior. And in some ways, because they're not human, 
uh, those things may not be correct. And if they're not correct, sometimes they might alter our behavior in, in a way that doesn't benefit the dog or the human. Well, thanks again, and we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye. Listen to the Family Pups podcast with your hosts, Tanya and Charles Lim. Subscribe to our podcast to catch our latest episodes. If you like the show, please make sure to share and review us on your favorite podcast app. And for links to anything we mentioned in the episode, check out our show notes. And don't forget to visit familypups.com podcast to listen to past episodes of the Family Pups podcast, including episodes on separation anxiety with Melania DeMartini-Price, Unpredictable Aggression with Michael Shikashio, Fearful Dogs with Debbie Jacobs, Puppy Socialization with Marge Rogers and Eileen Anderson, and many, many more.